Welcome back to Son of a Preacher Man with Jonathan Martin, a podcast all about finding beauty and brokenness, grace and grit, God and the ambiguity of the in-between. In this episode, Jonathan preaches a sermon at First Love Church in Ocala, Florida on the topic of Advent and desire. We hope you enjoy. Well, thank you guys. Good morning. It is so good to be back with you all. I love your church so much. I was saying in the first service, basically I come just to hang out with Silas, and then it's like I'll preach while I'm here too. Love, love that kid. Um, I, I really, I don't say this everywhere I go. You know, I, I've never had a, I don't think anybody that I've had the opportunity to minister with like this just adopt me the way Dennis and Heather Drake and their family have. I truly feel like one of the family. They take such good care of me. And how many times even this year has it's been such a season of transition to just text or send a gift at just the right time or the right moment in a way that makes me feel very seen and known by the Lord. They're just so special to me. And and anytime I get to be with them, I, I cherish. So thank you guys. It's always truly is an honor to be here with you. And such pastor just pastors' hearts that they have. It's just, you just don't get that everywhere. And I know, the, I know that you know that and you don't take it for granted. But y- you are. You really are. And I love this community. So it's, uh, it's good to be back. We'll jump right in uh, pretty shortly here if you want to turn your Bibles to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 33. I do love Advent, and it's especially meaningful to get to, uh, to, to dive into that with you. But just before we go to the text, let's, just, uh, let's pray one more time. God, I just simply ask now, you have been present all morning, since your spirit at work among your people. We're humbled by that. We welcome all the ways that you're already moving and working in us. And simply ask now that as you've always already been present in the worship, that you would, let's prepare us to encounter you by your word. Give us the grace to hear what we need to hear, to see what we need to see. I just pray, God, for something deeper than words, deeper than proclamation, truly a, a revelation of your, of your heart for us, that particular daughters and particular sons would hear exactly what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church. We ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, Amen. Advent is about desire. Advent is about longing. Advent is about expectation. Advent ultimately is about hope. And my particular challenge, simple challenge for this message this morning is I'm wondering um, who here is struggling right now with the idea of getting your hopes up. Because sometimes, sometimes we do. One of the things I think is so interesting about Advent is while it's a time of such anticipation, it also makes a lot of room for complexity. And part of what makes Advent what it is, is you know, you don't skip to the punchline and just like, all right, birth of Jesus, let's party. You kind of 
you have to enter into the, the tension first, the in-between. I think for a lot of you, you don't have to work too hard to enter into the tension and the in-between because you've already been living here for a long time. What does it mean when it's Advent again and you go through all that hoping and longing and expectation and it may seem that the world outside around you or even inside of you is worse off this time this year than it was this time last year. What do you do with that? Jeremiah, and this is the Old Testament reading for this morning, and I love these verses. Jeremiah chapter 33, beginning with verse 14, says, prophet declares, the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise. So much of what this season is about, the anticipation of promises being fulfilled. I will fulfill the promise made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David. And listen to this. He shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. What beautiful verses. And yet how difficult to hear when we know for a fact that justice and righteousness are not executed in the land. They're not. There is no justice. There is no righteousness. And sometimes it can feel like we come to some of these promises year after year and not see any, any tangible signs that this is coming any closer to reality in the, in the world around us. And we, we declare these things as words of faith without necessarily having any real tangible evidence that it's getting better. And when you do that year after year and you get your hopes up and you dare to dream, you dare to long, you dare to hope, Really, I mean, I think Advent just it encapsulates so many different kinds of hoping and, and longing. There's so many different kinds of desire that's wrapped up here. I mean, on, on the, I know on the most basic level, we enter into that longing and anticipation for the, the coming of Jesus through the birth, through the, you know, through the incarnation. And, and again, we don't cheat and kind of skip to the punchline. It's important to enter into the waiting. But there's also this way that, like, you know, we say, but we know Jesus is born, and that's great. You know, but Advent is also about anticipation for the second coming of Jesus. And when that kingdom, finally, his kingdom has come, and his will is done on earth as it is in heaven, there's that longing and expectation. But, you know, I really think there's a way that, on a deeper level, Advent doesn't just touch on these cosmic, big-picture themes of God's justice and righteousness and craving that in the land, it also stirs up deep desires and longing inside of us, touches on some things, touches on some tender things. And that's really what I would hope for the grace to, to do this morning is to touch on some tender things. Because I think especially where there's been some, some hope that's been deferred in the words of the great poem, where there's been some dreams that have been dashed, it's, it's painful to start to think about hoping again when deep down there's this, there's this real fear that 
uh, of just feeling disappointed and let down all over again. I don't know if that rings true for anybody right now, but it feels right for this morning. Just that, that, that fear of, of getting your hopes up again. I feel like um, one of the things that I love about even um, when you look kind of in, the, in church history, when you look at the calendar and even the hymnody of the church, is that the church has always really wrangled with the idea that Advent is, is complicated in this way. I love Christmas hymns. I was at a great Christmas musical yesterday and was reminded of a hymn that um, I haven't thought about in a long time. I think we have this for the screen, actually. Y'all know the hymn, uh, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day? Beautiful song, right? But I'm telling you, some of the best theology, some of the most interesting theology, I think, is, it, is in the, the verses in the hymns that we never sing. And one of those is in this, the third verse of I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day, which is so lovely. Listen to this lyric. And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Now, that's a, that's a heavy lyric, y'all. Like, that's blues right there. A song written during the midst of the Civil War. That feels like the moment we're in to me. Hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill towards men. People say that there's a line from Shakespeare for everything. My version of this is I have a U2 lyric for everything. And U2 also has a great song called Peace on Earth that I think of as a Christmas song from their 2001 album, All That You Can't Leave Behind. And it talks about peace on earth, the, the refrain of the angels. And there's a specific lyric that, um, oh, you got that from, on the screen for me. Thank you so much. Jesus, in the song you wrote, the words are sticking in my throat, peace on earth. Hear it every Christmas time, but hope in history won't rhyme. So what's it worth, this peace on earth? Hope in history won't rhyme. That's what it feels like sometimes. That the story is just not coming into alignment. And I think sometimes when you feel that dissonance and you feel that longing and you feel that sense that your equilibrium's off because the world around us, you know, is it the world that it's supposed to be? Sometimes we can actually feel like there's something wrong with us. When the fact of the matter is, there's a, there's a holiness to longing. Paul writes in Romans 8 about how the creation itself is groaning and sighing for the manifestation of the sons and daughters of God. To, to groan and to sigh is to, is to be in sync with the heart of God. There's supposed to be a dissonance. There's supposed to be deep desire. There's supposed to be a kind of wanting. And I, I just feel like, especially these last few weeks, I feel like that's the thing that, and I don't claim that God speaks to me with great clarity all the time, but there's something happening in me right now, specifically around this idea of desire. Because I'm a person for whom, and I still don't quite fully understand how I got to these messed up ideas about God. I have some ideas, but I'm, I'm still not sure quite how this got as bad as it is. I I find myself, if I have a deep desire, if I have a deep longing, all my life it immediately makes me afraid the moment I recognize it. Because my sense is the moment I really desire something, the moment I have a really profound kind of want, the moment I really set like an intention on something in that way, immediately I get afraid because my, my sense is 
if I want something too much, it must be idolatrous. And God's not going to let me have it. So I'm almost afraid of knowing I want something too much. Because like inevitably, well, I'm not, I'm not, I won't get to have that. Why? Because I want it. You know what I'm saying? There, the converse has also been true for me, though, that if I really don't want something, that like deep in my soul, there's an immediate kind of an oh no. Because if I really don't want to do something, if I don't want a certain kind of destiny or faith, then oh no. I really don't want that, which means for sure God is going to make me do that. Because if you say, Lord, I will do anything for you, I just don't want to be a missionary to India, then of course inevitably the punchline is you're going to have to go be a missionary to India precisely because that's the one place you don't want to go. Now, if that is how, those of your parents, if that is how you relate to your kids, I hope you understand just how deeply jacked up you really are. <laughs> like your kid wants something and your response is, oh, you, oh, now I know what you really want. You'll never get it. Or you know they really don't want, so oh, well then for sure you have to do it now. I'm, I always hang out and talk to anybody who wants to after, I would just say, if that, is how, if that is your method for child parenting, please let me know after the service. Give me your name and number. I'll smile. I'll be very polite. I'll pray for you. And when I get out, I am calling social services to come get those kids out of your house. Because that is so messed up. It would be such a weird way of relating to your kids. And yet that has always been my default setting for how I think the God that Jesus calls Father must relate to me. I'm so suspicious of my own desires. Don't get me wrong. I know Je Jeremiah talks about how the heart is deceitful. Look, I know that's true. But I'm, I'm, I'm really coming to see something different about that. Like, can our wants be disordered? Well, sure. But there's a desire that goes deeper than the want. That I'm increasingly just coming to be convinced that that desire can be trusted. I'm convinced that the issue for so many of it, it's not that we desire too much, but that we don't allow ourselves to desire enough, that we're not honest enough about the things that we do most deeply desire. Desire in of itself is not a bad thing. And I'm convinced even when desire is disordered around like kind of a, 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 a surface level want that's unhealthy, what is sin if not an illegitimate attempt to meet a legitimate need? Anybody's ever dealt with an addiction? What is that? Like there's a real need for communion. There's a real need for to, to transcend something difficult that you just try to meet in an unhealthy way. But that, that craving to, to want to deal with the loneliness, that's not bad. The desire to want to rise above that, that, that's not bad. It's just, it's an illegitimate way to try to meet a legitimate need. But, but the need is legitimate. And I, I just feel like God's been, just been pushing this on me lately, just having to, stirring up some desire, stirring up some things that I got, I frankly just got afraid to have my hopes up for. I got to, I don't talk about this stuff all the time. And it sounds so charismatic to use this language. So I hope y'all can work with me. I had a word. Can I say that from a friend earlier this year? 
I wouldn't even know how to give you the context for all this. It was very profound. Back in March, where a friend had this word about some things that I wanted. And I actually, I really struggled with it because part of that word was that some of the things that you most deeply want, you think are, it's just superficial and silly and God wouldn't be interested in that. And the word was essentially God is actually interested in that. And I, I, I thought it, it sounded great and also like, oh, I, I don't know, maybe. Because I'm so, I'm so funny about those things. Again, like if I, if I want something, like that's, that must mean I'm not supposed to have it. Such a weird way of looking at the world. How about delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart? The desires of your heart, the desires of your heart are not, are not wrong. And if the, if the desire that's on the top level isn't a healthy desire, I would just encourage you, press a little bit deeper into the thing, the need beneath the surface. You know what I'm saying? It's a great quote from G.K. Chesterton I think about a lot. Every man who knocks on the door of a brothel goes looking for God. That's, isn't that, that's scandalous a hundred years later. But, but like, do, do, do you hear the idea there that like any, any form of, again, addiction, like it's, it's always an attempt to meet a deeper need. So, so what is that need? What, it, what is that desire? What is that thing? I, I just feel like I've, I've spent so, so much of my life trying to condition myself not to want or to be dishonest about the things that I do want. And part of what I think Advent is about is it's a season for excavating desire. And maybe finding that some of these desires that have been buried and some of these hopes and dreams that we've decided to put on, and we just, we, we've just, we're just sure that they're just, just so scared to get our hopes up. What if some of those things actually need to be excavated? I hope this doesn't sound like one of those God wants to give everybody a Rolls Royce kinds of sermons. Because that's really not what I mean. But I also don't think you really desire a Rolls Royce. Do you hear what I'm saying? That's not, that's not what you really want. But man, there's this, there's this deeper kind of wanting. And if it is true that, you remember what Jesus taught? Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, if your son comes to you and he asks for bread, would you give him a rock? If you're... If your daughter comes and asks for a fish, would you give her a serpent? If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly Father love to give good gifts? He loves to give good gifts. It's not a chore. He delights in meeting these deep longings, these deepest desires of your heart. I was with my parents the last few weeks in Charlotte. And as they're getting a little older and I'm an only child, you know, I, I try to be really mindful. Just I'm very, I really cherish that time right now. And for some reason, it hit me a few weeks ago. I started thinking about when I was a little boy and my, my dad's a preacher. So we would have church on Sunday night, long church because we're Pentecostal. My dad preached a long time. The altar services were even longer than the sermons. And it was just, and those were the days, you know, it's like after we got done, on, you know, with church on Sunday night, McDonald's was the only thing that was open. And also that was just a time, like especially like in church culture in which it just wasn't weird to eat at McDonald's all the time. I, I kind of miss those days, frankly, because no matter how toxic and radioactive that might be for my body, y'all know there's something uniquely delicious about those French fries. Don't tell me there's not. It might be in your digestive tract for seven years. But don't tell me it's not delicious. 
that extra salty thing. And, and also, because keep in mind, this was the Wild West. There were no rules in those days. That was also a time in which I rode on the, like, the armrest in between. There were no seatbelt laws or anything, right? You know, this was, it was wild in those days. You just ride on the armrest. And so I would be riding on the armrest. We'd go to the drive-thru. And my dad would always get me my own fries, but no matter, it, no matter I, it didn't matter I had my own fries. I specifically wanted my dad's fries, something special about my dad's fries. So then I'd move over to his lap, and I would, I would take them out of the bag one by one, and I would eat a fry, and then I'd give him a fry. And I'd eat a fry uh, then I'd give him another fry. And the thing about it was, not only did my dad not resent this, he loved it. Like, he loved this. I think looking back, that's when I first started to get some kind of a healthy sense of what God is actually like. You know, just this delight and reciprocity and there's something so beautiful about that. And yet still, still, I default back to these old ways of thinking about God. That are, because I don't know if this is true for y'all, but for me, I've changed my mind about a lot of things theologically. Just because you change your mind doesn't mean you change the default settings of your heart. Like some of that wiring runs deep. And I still, I still find myself, I'll never forget when I felt like the Lord gave me that. It was grieved that I was so suspicious of him. Suspicious of the Lord. No matter how good, no matter how I feel, still suspicious. Suspicious of God and suspicious of me. Some of what that's looked like is that if, if there is a deep one, if there is some kind of a, a desire that's there, then I feel like I need to to bargain with God in some way, you know, and I don't know where you, what everybody's tradition is, where you come from, but growing up in the kind of churches where I did, where there was such an emphasis in the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the whole thing for me was like, I, I need to really prove to God, I got to show God how much I want the Holy Spirit. So when we have these altar services, I was down with like gritted teeth and clenched fists I will stay in this altar as long as it takes until I have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And man, like it was just so much, it was so much work and so much effort. Honestly, I can see now how long that really blocked the flow of the power of God in my life because I, I was so intense about it. I mean, you can't, this is not the posture with which you receive a gift. <laughs> like like this, like, oh, like open hands, open heart. Like, that's what God wants. Jesus said, ask, and, and he will answer. He didn't say, I'm not saying there's not a, a right time and place for fasting. I, I don't love it, but I believe in it. But Jesus didn't say, fast, and I will answer. Fast, and the door will be open. Knock, and the door will be open. Ask, and I'll answer. What is this business of having to prove to God that you're serious about a thing? Like, what, what is that? Trying to, I don't know, always trying to prove I was so sincere. I don't I need, need to make, what, what is, is there a, a magic formula to that? God will answer your prayers when you're certain you're at least 87% sincere or, 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 or you want it enough? Like, what, what is the magic line there? See, I am just so convinced at this point of the goodness of God, of the good character of God. I don't know how all this works out. I don't know how God's justice will, will uh, ultimately be worked out in the world. I have plenty of questions about how all this goes down. All I know at this point is I actually do trust God's heart. I really do. 
I'm so convinced of the good character of God. I, I, I believe that in my bones now. So I see some things differently. When I'm um, even talking about my dad, when I was 10 years old, we were at, we were on vacation, and I, I have to explain to people, because I come from like a holiness Pentecostal context, that we would vacation not at the beach, but at the coast, because the beach is a place of debauchery and sin. The coast, on the other hand, is a place of natural beauty and wonder. You see the difference? So we didn't go to the beach. We went to the coast to admire God's beauty in creation, not to be swimming with the opposite sex and other such unholy things. But we're at the coast, and my dad got, got terribly sick. It was, uh, his esophagus it rode away from his stomach. It was very stress-related. They had to do a perf- uh, an emergency surgery, and it was the first time I ever had to grapple with my parents' mortality. Like, we really thought he might not make it through the surgery. And I have this very vivid memory at that young age of, you know, professional wrestling at that point was the most important thing in my life. I don't know how much y'all know about professional wrestling in Ocala. I know a lot about it because I'm from Charlotte originally, and that's the home of the nature boy, Ric Flair. And uh, somebody knows about the horsemen. I love Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan and Macho Man Randy Savage and the Road Warriors. This, these were the glory days of professional wrestling, and it was all I thought about was wrestling. I had my, I still have these, actually. I really still have them. I don't throw anything away. The, uh, my, like, 12-inch plastic wrestling action figures, I'd play with them for hours on end every day. Dusty Rhodes. Dusty Rhodes, that elbow drop. A good, the, the American dream, Dusty Rhodes. Um, and when I talk about, like, playing with my figures for hours every day, I mean, I'm, I mean, like, last week. I mean, this is like... <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> um, no, but really, this was, it was like my whole life. And I, I, not trying to be heartrending or something. This is, this is true. So I'm 10 years old, and I still remember walking in that little chapel at the hospital, getting on my knees, and praying, God, if you will let my daddy live through this surgery, I will give up professional wrestling forever. I'm done. That was the prayer I prayed. Thanks be to God, my dad made it through the surgery, and I kept my pledge for about six months. <laughs> six months, long, not a long, not a short time for me then. And then I started really questioning, like, how do I feel about this? Like, I really want, I so wanted to play with my wrestling figures again. I didn't know it was wrong. I remember thinking even then, if I played with them, could God strike my dad dead? Could he get sick again? Because I went back on my vow. See, some of this stuff does not sound nearly as messed up as it actually is until you say it out loud. And you put it in context of any other relationship. <laughs> that's how, that's, I'm, glad, I'm so glad I'm not the only one, sincerely. I, but I remember specifically, I asked my dad about this. He told me the other day when I brought it up that he didn't even know I gave up the wrestling. I'm, I'm shocked I didn't tell them before that until it was six months later. And I'm having this conversation. I'm like, Dad, I'm told him the whole story. I've told God I would give it up. One, what do you think if it went back? And I remember my dad said, I'll never forget this. My dad said, Jonathan, you know, God loves to heal. God loves to provide. You don't have to bargain with God for healing. Now, that's a good word right there. You don't have to barter. You're not looking for a trade. 
I was so encouraged by that. My dad finally talked me out of that condemnation to where I, I could pick up my wrestling figures again and feel all right about it. But that's hung with me. Because how many times have I thought that God, if I, re- if I really want something, I need to bargain for it. God's not into bargaining. God doesn't need you to make a trade. What, what, is that? what do you think you have that he wants? I, I'm just, I'm, it's so vivid in my mind right now, the words of Psalm 51. If you had wanted a sacrifice, I would have offered it. But he doesn't delight in burnt offerings. He doesn't delight in sacrifice. One of the things I love about the tradition of the prophets, and I'm in a good mood in this service, and I'm, I think I'm almost done, so now I'm just saying things I didn't say in the first service because I want to. One of the things I love about the whole tradition of the prophets is that it takes everything the priest said and basically like calls it all into question. Because in the priest, it's, thus saith the Lord, here's how you're supposed to do the sacrifice. Then comes along the prophets, and, oh, I never wanted your sacrifice. I was never about that. If you really want to bend your mind, look in the book of Jeremiah, where God actually says through Jeremiah at another point, you know, I wasn't the one who gave your forefathers the law. Y'all wanted that. I'm not telling you what I don't, I'm not telling you what that means. I'm just telling you what Jeremiah said. I didn't say it. Jeremiah did. But I love that whole streak in the prophetic tradition. This idea, sacrifice. Oh, we've got all these things in Leviticus telling us how to make the sacrifice. Oh, I was never actually interested in your sacrifices. And I just still think some of us we're still we still try to offer God these random sacrifices that God's just not interested in. Because he wants to give you the desires of your heart that delights him and that pleases him. And I just want to raise the question this morning. What if there are some desires that have been buried that actually are God-given dreams? What if, all, what if that isn't supposed to be pushed down? What if that needs to be excavated? What if that's what Advent is about? Is being willing to bring some of those hopes back into light even though you are afraid that you might be disappointed. That's the thing about Advent, I think, is that it always feels risky. It always feels risky to kind of, um, to really bring those things in the light of God's presence. That's why I think this is such a, a tender season, because these are, these, these are deep things. But I just feel like this morning, there's just, there's just grace for that, for some of the desires to be excavated and and maybe even just um, just for a moment again to start to, to hope again where there has not been permission to hope. And I can't tell you how God is going to work it out. I can't tell you how God is going to fulfill it. All all I know how to do is testify this morning to the good character of God. That I know His heart is good. That I know His heart is for you. That I know he loves to bless and to heal and to move. And if there's a deep longing in your heart, I just can't think this morning that God is looking for you to crawl across broken glass through the desert to convince him that you're serious. It's not supposed to be that complicated. Stand with me if you would. This is the point where normally I would just keep preaching because I'm having a good time. But I feel like this is the right, I feel like this is the right moment. I want to ask you if you would just to close your eyes with me. And just for a moment or two, I just would love for us to have a minute to reflect, to pause.
And just to allow the Holy Spirit, who in the words of Paul in Romans, searches the depths of God to come now and search the depths of us. Deep calls to deep. God, I just feel in the stillness of this moment that whatever is in the depths of you is calling to the depths in us. And that some of what is in the depths is um, a desire, a craving that, that's too deep for words, God. Some prayers that we are reluctant to pray because we're so scared of being disappointed. Some things that there's a part of us that we hope for, but we're scared to say it out loud. And God, if we're honest, if um, somehow in the midst of all those things, the truth is that we, we just struggle to believe that you are good. We struggle to trust that you are good. We struggle to trust the intentions of your heart towards us. But God, I just feel like there's such a grace today, such a grace on us, not condemnation, not shame, but just you in that gentle, tender way that you have, just telling us once again, telling your daughters and telling your sons, don't be afraid. God, I pray that you remind us of your goodness, that you remind us this morning of your faithfulness to us in the past. That you remind us of the, the tenderness that you have towards your children here today. And now, God, just in this moment, whatever those desires are, we just invite you, Holy Spirit, to come in and search our depths and to stir up that which needs to be stirred up. I just want to pray specifically this morning for some deferred hope, for some, uh, some buried dreams that need to be stirred up. God, that you would stir up those things again, that you would stir up those things. I really believe that there's some things that we've written off and some things that we thought, oh, that's just me, that really all along it was you. God, you, you love, you love to meet the needs of your sons and daughters. And you're so much more eager to respond. You're, you're more eager to meet the need than we are eager to have it met. God, I just pray that you would stir up our holy longing. Holy longing. But God, I do, I, I do feel the need this morning. As much as I believe, and this is more the direction I'd be inclined to go with this, you know, I, I think your heart is always for justice and your heart is always for mercy and shalom in the world. I believe in all that so deeply. And yet this morning, I just really do sense that for some people, God, you want to stir up some longing that's much more personal than that. And it's not about praying for, just praying for peace on earth or in the Middle East or whatever. God, some really deep personal things. Needs for relationship, needs to be seen and known. needs for financial provision like like seriously like we real need for manna god uh, need for 
some things to be mended and healed. Need for addiction to be broken. God, things we just can't do for ourselves. So we just invite you now, Holy Spirit. And I just want to encourage you. I don't mean, to, I'm not trying to drag this out, but whatever it is that you need to ask, just to, just to ask and ask so freely. James says you have not because you ask not. Just to, just to invite God into these things. God, you know these needs that are so deep that we don't even want to acknowledge them to ourselves sometimes. And here you are in that way that you have, bringing everything into light so that there can be healing and so there can be wholeness. God, and I just, I, I just want to declare this this morning because I so believe this is your heart. You want your sons and daughters to be whole. And whatever concerns their wholeness is not irrelevant to you. Lord, I believe you'd say to some of your kids here today, if it matters to them, it matters to you. <laughs> it's not too small to escape your attention. Remind us, God, how much more you love to give good gifts to your children. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As we get ready to come to the table of the Lord, I want to specifically to just kind of guide this time in this direction. Every time we come to the table, it, it kind of means something different, doesn't it? There's, all, there's so much involved, but I just think whenever we come to the table, there's this, you know, when you, we come to the Lord's table, we don't take communion. We receive communion. Nothing to take. Nothing to strive. You don't have to grasp for it. We don't have to be worried that there's not going to be enough. There's always enough. We don't take. We just receive open hands. And my prayer this morning is that as, even as you come to the Lord's table, there would just be such an, even as you open your hands for these elements, that'll be a way of opening your heart to God in every way. He delights to give you good gifts. Stop clenching your teeth and or your fist and or your butt cheeks in anxiety like never said that in a sermon before relax relax he's good he's better than you dared to hope or believe he is i promise you that however good you've imagined him to be he's so much better than that It's such, a, it's such a simple point, but I have to punch it home right now. It's so, I just think it's so heartbreaking. That, and I, I, I don't know what it's like to be a biological father, actually. I do feel like it these days, and this is weird for me to say, but I am a spiritual father. I've had to own that. That is something God's called me to do. But any of you have kids of any capacity, how sad is it that you could possibly think that you love your kids more or better than God the Father loves you. Stuff you wouldn't, even you wouldn't even imagine treating your kids the way I talked about earlier. And you think somehow, you think you're more merciful than God? You think you're nicer than God? Come on. He's so much better than you've dared to believe. And my prayer really this morning is that as we come to the table, it'll just open you up in that way, just a posture of receiving God's gifts. That this would be the start of it. All right.
is this right? Is this for the screen? Oh, great. Perfect. This is great. Oh, oh yes. Okay, great. So we do have the prayer of confession. I'm so sorry. I, this is, uh, I've just been flowing this morning and not super thoughtful about the liturgy. So this is good. I love when we take this moment right before we come to the table just to, to admit and be open about everything within us that's not in alignment with God. And once again, the idea here is not that we have to plead for God's mercy. Of course not. God has already gone to such great lengths to deal with everything in us that's not conformed to the image of Christ. So this that we do right now isn't so much for God as it is for us. Bring everything that's in the darkness in the light for the sake of healing and wholeness. So can we pray this together? Most holy and merciful Father, we confess to you and to one another that we have sinned against you by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not fully loved our neighbors as ourselves. We have not always had in us the mind of Christ. You alone know how often we have grieved you by wasting your gifts, by wandering from your ways. Forgive us, we pray you, most merciful Father, and free us from our sin. Renew in us the grace and strength of your Holy Spirit for the sake of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. Amen. And even as we say that this morning, I hope you receive this not as my word, but as the word of Christ. Sons and daughters of God, you are forgiven. Receive his grace. Receive his mercy. Receive his declaration. Receive his peace over your life. And now, friends, blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And blessed be his kingdom now and forever. Amen. Thank you for listening today, everyone. For more, go to JonathanMartinWords.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram. You can also support this podcast by going to Patreon.com slash Son of a Preacher Man. And you can help us keep this podcast going. Now remember, no matter who you are or where you come from, we hope this podcast will help you come to know the love that calls you by your true name. God bless.